Well, let's get into God's word this morning. Open up, if you would, grab a Bible and open up to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. We are going to be primarily focusing on one verse today, but we might jump to a couple more passages. But Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And for those of you just joining us, we are continuing a five-week series through this portion of the book of Acts where we are getting some grounding as to who we are as, and whose we are as we move forward as a church by God's grace. And as you're turning there, the kids mentioned it, but we want to see our children grow, right? Even those who aren't parents want to see kids grow. A kid that's not growing, it's, it's a terrible thing. And even you moms who don't want your babies to grow up, you really do, because they would be, you'd be horrified if they didn't. Parents are there to help their children grow, to nurture them, to train them, equip them for living life, both in this world and the world to come. And we want to see them grow, and we want to see them do well. We want them to flourish. And so we do some things for them, and we don't let them do some other things. And I'm convinced that parents do, and I speak mainly from personal experience here, um, I don't even have to look at the rest of y'all's parenting to know that um, some of the means we choose to grow our kids are not, not the best. But we do know that there are real ways, tried and true ways, best ways, instead of just merely good ways for our kids to grow and flourish. And as I told the kids, our desire for our kids to grow doesn't originate with us. We're designed that way by our Creator. And He eagerly desires His children, those who trust in the Lord Jesus whom He has sent with their lives, whom their Father has sent to die to rescue them from withering sin that inhibits growth, that would leave them without hope, He eagerly desires his children, who is called the church, the family of God, his family. He eagerly desires us to learn from the things that he teaches us to help him grow, to help help us grow, excuse me. Jesus' church grows. Healthy things grow. We are meant to grow. So the question is, is, well, what means has God given to help us grow? And the other question is, do we avail ourselves of them? And that's where we're going in this text this morning. So would you stand with me as we hear God's word this morning? Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation." 
So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. You may have a seat. Jesus' church grows. Now, this last verse, verse 42, mentions four things, four means which God has given us to grow. And before we jump into those, I want to caveat and say there are arguably more things that God uses to help us grow that are revealed in Scripture. But these here are essential. What they did represents principles that God has been teaching his people throughout history. And I'm convinced that every person who is born again also has been given the desires by God to want these things, to grow in these things. And so while the methods we use today as York Evangelical Free Church might look a little different from the early first century church in Jerusalem, the reality is that if you see any one of these four things out of whack in someone's life, you will see an unhealthy Christian. You will see a Christian whose spiritual growth and maturity is stunted and hindered or is kind of off kilter. The scripture says, as we get into this, because this is going to define a lot of how we view these things, scripture also says in verse 42, they devoted themselves to these things. Anybody know what devote means? It means they signed their name on the dotted line, so to speak. That this was important. If you are devoted to something, it is not just an add-on on your schedule. Devotion means that person, that group, that thing takes priority over other things. It means these people were willing to say yes to these things and no to many other things that might take their place. And what they were doing was they were saying yes to God's best things. So what did they say yes to then? And what are we saying yes to? What does this passage teach us? First, it teaches us that we must devote ourselves to God's word. For it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now the apostle Peter, which you just read, had finished a compelling sermon but was this just the cult of personality? He was just was that charismatic and once he was gone, they'd go and follow someone else? No, that's not what true devotion is. So what is this? What is this apostle's teaching? It's the authoritative word of God. Now, you, you know the apostles are a special group of people. They're not like super Christians, okay? But they have been specially commissioned and sent by the Lord Jesus himself to authoritatively proclaim and interpret Jesus' teaching. God used these guys to write the New Testament. Not us. <laughs> so what did the apostles teach? Well, they had spent three years with Jesus. What did he teach them? He taught them primarily the Old Testament and how it applied to him. You look in Luke 24, and he says that Jesus twice opens their minds to understand the scriptures that they concern Jesus. The apostles' teaching is the word of God, and we have it in written form here. Secondly, why should we devote ourselves to the word of God? 
So that's what it is, the word of God. Why should we devote ourselves to it? It's simple. They and we are designed to know God. Again, Luke 24, verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. We're to know him, God. How can we know what the gospel is? How can we know who Jesus is? How can we know how things began, where they went wrong, and what God did to start making it right? How can we know how to be saved from what went wrong in the world and what is wrong in ourselves? How can we know how to truly live? As one pastor said, God wrote a book. He chose to speak to us. Which, if you've read in this book how we've sinned against him, should come as one of the greatest displays of grace besides his son being sacrificed to take away our sins. They and we are designed to know God. So then the third question is, how do we do this? How do we devote ourselves to the word of God? To the apostles' teaching. First, what this means for our church. And we already have it in place, but it bears repeating. I'm gonna put it this way. I am not, the pa- I the pastor am not, the elders are not, and no one in the congregation is allowed to get up and start making up stuff about who Jesus is and how he wants us to live. All of our decisions as a church must align with and be submitted to God's voice, which is the word of God, the Bible. Because the word that God has spoken has his authority. Second, this is the personal. You really do have to open up the Bible. You've got to know what it says. And I'll say this, there are thousands of devotionals out there that share other people's thoughts from their reading of scripture, and they're great. But that's not to be the main source of our spiritual diet. God desires to speak to you, to you. And third, how do we do this? The word of God preached. This was something big for the reformers. This was something big back then because these people were saved and they devoted themselves to these things because a man commissioned by God chose to preach to them. And when we gather on a Sunday, it's not so that you can hear me give, or whoever is speaking, give what one comedian called a TED Talk with a Bible verse. It's so that you can hear the word of God. The whole counsel of God proclaimed to you for your growth, for his glory. And fourth, how do we devote ourselves to the apostle teaching? This word has to go out. It's not like the people of this passage whom the Lord was adding daily to their number heard nothing and then suddenly became believers. They heard the word of God and received it as it was. We must devote ourselves to the word of God. Well, there's a little bit of an obstacle, isn't that, in there? Have you noticed that getting any sort of long-term traction in being in the Word is pretty, sometimes pretty hard? 
Some of you, I just say, open your Bible and you start sweating and your eyes cross. Well, let me say, say it this way. If you try to devote yourself to the Word of God like a relay runner who'd rather run the whole race by herself because if you want the job done right, you've got to do it yourself, you are going to crash and burn. We're not meant to do this alone. And our flesh, the, the world, and Satan love do-it-yourselfers who isolate themselves with the Word of God. What else do we need to devote ourselves to? Because it's not just the apostles' teaching. Second, we must devote ourselves to one another. They devoted themselves to the fellowship and not the one that went to Mordor to destroy the ring. So what is fellowship? If we look at what the word basically means, to break it apart in its parts, fellows means equals getting together. And we need to remember that in the church. There is only one Lord and Christ of the church, and none of the rest of us are it. We are all on a level playing field before God. That should change how we treat one another. So that's just the English word, but what, is the, what does the word there mean in the Bible? Well, the best, one of the best ways to interpret Scripture is to look at other Scripture, interpret it through other Scripture. There's a passage in Philippians 1 verse 5 where Paul speaks of your partnership in the gospel. It's the same word, koinonia. So what does that mean? Fellowship, Christian fellowship is the gathering of people around a common vision, the gospel, and shared mission, making the Lord Jesus Christ and his work, which is the gospel, known by making disciples. So shared vision, common vision. And with that, when the, what that means is that fellowship is we gather together to help us and encourage us in that common vision and that shared mission. We're not there, we don't just show up to shoot the breeze, we're there to encourage each other in the things of God. Because let's face it, we are, if I am, we are forgetful people. We need each other to encourage each other. So why should we devote ourselves to it? There are a whole host of reasons. Excuse me, I'm getting a little dry here. Why should we devote ourselves to one another? I'll share just one reason. This is God's will for his people. And scripture commands it explicitly. Hebrews 10 verse 24 says, through 25 says this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So where, according to this passage, is the primary location where we can stir up one another to love and good works and encourage each other to persevere? When we're together, when we're physically together. And there was a portion of time, shorter than other places, thank God, where this kind of fellowship was stunted by a pandemic. Our spiritual growth has been affected by that. 
And we need to lament it and be healed. But I also need to say this, that COVID is not the neglect that God is talking about in this passage in Hebrews. So church, I am so humbled and very encouraged that so many of you have devoted yourselves to one another, to the fellowship. You show up Sunday after Sunday, more than not, to be with the people here. Do you know that you have and are taking advantage of the opportunity the Lord has given you to bless us here, to encourage us? Your presence here serves us. And you are taking advantage of the reality that we are here to serve you. That's why we are to gather, to encourage one another, to stir one another up to love and good works. So let's praise God for you. Thank you. And let me encourage you further. Don't neglect this. Keep going. Now, it's not as though making a certain quota of Sundays or whatever counts as healthy Christian fellowship. But I, as your pastor and a fellow believer who am called to devote myself to the same things by our loving Heavenly Father, I need to ask you a question. To you who seem to be habitually gone more Sundays than not in a given month. I get it, emergencies come up, it's summer, people are traveling. But scripture comes back to this word, devote. And I can't answer this for you. But I will ask you the question, can you answer yes to they devoted themselves to the fellowship, that that is true of you? Is the Lord Jesus Christ, the transforming power of the gospel and the new people, the new family in Christ, valuable to you? Valuable enough to you where you say yes to us and no to other things. That might be good, but not the best. We should be profoundly grieved when myself or our brothers and sisters do not value what God values. We as a church are grieved when people neglect us serving them in fellowship. That's what we're here for. We're here for you, to show you God, to help you remind you of God and his goodness and love. And we are, as a church, neglected because you have chosen not to serve us in fellowship. Our spiritual growth and yours are hampered when we choose something else. We are meant to be together for one another. Listen to the voice of your heavenly Father. I don't say this, I don't make it up. It's right there in the text. Listen to your voice of your heavenly Father who loves you and will forgive you as will we all as we want to be forgiven. And he has given you this little body of people for your spiritual growth. 
and has given you to us for ours. So how do we devote ourselves to one another? I've already answered this in part. We gather physically together. You'll notice that the passage says the fellowship. This is the church together. We devote ourselves through three ways, perhaps more, but three ways at least. Membership, we covenant with one another, devoting ourselves to one another. We sign our name on the dotted line, so to speak. And also, these believers, this passage says in verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. There are two types of gatherings mentioned there. Now, we don't have a temple, and we should never think of the place that we're meeting as a temple, okay? Please don't. But there's a formal gathering for the worship of God. We're doing that right now. And then there are informal gatherings throughout the week. They did it day by day. We need to gather formally on a Sunday morning. And we need to be getting together informally for the purpose of encouraging each other in common vision and mission of Jesus' church. Because when you're on the fourth day of the work week and stuff has gone bad, it's hard to think of Jesus. Unless a brother or sister in Christ is there. Call you up and see how you're doing. Meet with you. That's what we're there for. I love that God has designed it this way. And he's designed, and that's all over the place. He says, make systems that work together. One of the most fascinating, and I wanted to study this as a kid. You want to bring up the picture. It's a coral reef. And this is where you can find the most variety and often the greatest number of sea creatures in the ocean anywhere. Why? Because they are together. They help one another flourish. The reef serves as a place for food, a place for protection, a place for rest. That's what our fellowship is supposed to be like. We must devote ourselves to one another. Jesus' church grows. And as we devote ourselves to one another, to the apostles' teaching, we also, thirdly, we must devote ourselves to gospel celebration. We don't gather for a crummy down thing. We gather to celebrate. And they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. I love bread. I love baking bread. I love breaking bread. There's nothing like the smell of warm bread. And when you break it open, especially when it's warm and you taste it, oh. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Holy Spirit, three in one. It's delicious. But I'll tell you a secret that I love more. I love to see the faces of people when they bite into really good bread. When I get to share their joy. We don't get to celebrate if we're alone. So what is the breaking of bread? Well, is that what it means? The, breaking of, the literal breaking of bread. And we, it's like mealtimes, potlucks or pot blessings. Well, at one level, yes. It does mean that. Because in the first century, Jews would meet regularly for a large fellowship meal. 
And in this passage, it's commending us to to the gathering together over meals, because it says in verse 46, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Okay, so it is, it is a larger gathering, but, and, it's a, and it's gathering around food. Food brings people together. Your grandmother was right. But there's something more here. There's a certain kind of food that brings the church together and calls for gospel celebration. And that specific food, that specific meal that was within their larger meals and what we do here this, on Sundays once a month was the Lord's Supper, what we call communion. So why should we devote ourselves to this? Why are we even told to eat? Eating is for our growth. The kids said it. Partaking in communion with the church is for your spiritual growth. Why are we told this? We need to remember. We need to be reminded to celebrate. We need to be reminded to give thanks. And what do we celebrate? We celebrate the gospel. We are remembering the cost required to make us forgiven. The death of the Son of God himself, Jesus the Christ. And we are celebrating that his sacrifice really has made us a forgiven people. God no longer holds our sins against us. And when we get together to take communion together as God's family, we remind each other that the body he purchased by his blood is forgiven. And we affirm that we are together because of Jesus. So how do we devote ourselves to the breaking of bread? This is pretty simple. Come to the table. Come to the table and remember your need of a Savior who sacrificed himself for you. Come to the table remembering that you are in good company. Brothers and sisters in need of God's grace. Some people stay away from the church because that's where the sinners are. Whoop! We're getting help. That's why we're here, because we need help. We need a reminder to rejoice and celebrate that Jesus has done what we could not do for ourselves. We must devote ourselves to gospel celebration because Jesus' church grows. And fourthly, we must devote ourselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to the prayers. This might seem kind of like a silly question, but it really is important. What is prayer? We first need to know that we don't have quite what the first century church had here because it says, again, like the fellowship, it says the prayers. There were set times in the day in the Jewish calendar in, in, the, in Judaism and for those in Jerusalem, they would often go to the temple for many of these hours of prayer. It was a kind of liturgical service. We don't have that. But we still have prayer. What is prayer? It's talking to God. David Pallison, a well-known counselor and author, wrote, quote, Jesus lives and teaches something different. He teaches you how to stop talking to yourself. 
He shows you how to stop making prayer into a production. Jesus teaches you to start talking to your father, to quote, my father and your father, John 20, verse 17. He shows you how to start talking with the God who rules the world, who has freely chosen to take your best interests to heart. Talking life over with this unseen God is the sort of conversation worth calling prayer. So if you thought the question of what is prayer to be a little silly, well, why should we devote ourselves to prayer? We're talking with God. How do you grow in a relationship with someone? By the silent treatment? How well does that work in your marriages? No, you talk with them and you work with them. See, there's this great myth, and we Americans are especially susceptible to it, that prayer is not doing anything but wasting time. Just sitting on your butt doing nothing. Get to work. I get that from a book called Praying Life. But you must remember that the church was begun by the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is sustained and grown by prayerful dependence on that same Lord who builds and sustains his church. We're not living normal life here. We're living Christian life where God is king over the world, where God is our father and we can do nothing apart from Christ and he has given us his Holy Spirit. You want to see God move in our community? Pray. Do you want to see people given hope and healed? Pray. You want to see some of the worst wounds mankind can receive and people brought out of it? Pray. You want to see the gospel go forward? Then we had better begin on our knees. How do we devote ourselves to prayer? Again, essential but simple. Yes, there are hundreds of books on prayer, and many of them are great. Some of them are garbage. But it's simple. How do we devote ourselves to prayer? Pray. Pray. Just start talking to God. You think God has not heard your awkwardness before? Amen. That he's put off by your attempt to pray? Do you hear that? He's communicating something even though we don't understand it. Well, guess what? We can communicate that way with God and feel like that's what we're doing. We're being a babbling baby. But God understands everything. And he knows what we need. For we do not know how to pray. We do not know what to pray for as we ought, Paul says in Romans 8. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That's how God receives prayer from his children. He wants us to talk with him. And we pray as a church. We do that in the service. And we ought to be saturated with prayer in this service because everything we're doing this morning does not happen. There is no Holy Spirit movement if we do not engage with him. But not just here in the service. 
We pray for one another. Every, and this is not boasting, but this is a commitment that the elders and I have made. Every single day, six, actually six days a week, we pray for every single one of you, by name, for your families. And we are to do that, and this is not just an elder's or pastor's job, this is for everybody. We are to lift up one another, for one another, and with one another. And one more way that we haven't done yet here, but I would like to, is that starting in July, we are going to start a monthly prayer meeting where we will seek the Lord together for our church and for our community and for the world that needs Jesus. We must devote ourselves to prayer. Jesus' church grows. Therefore, we must devote ourselves to the things that God has given us to help us grow. God wants his children to grow, and he teaches us these essential things so that we will. He doesn't give this as a list of to-dos because he wants us to keep the rules. He gives these because he's a loving father who wants the best for his children. God would be a horrible God if he want, if he'd said, if he gave nothing for his children to follow, just let them run out in the, in the, into the interstate. But he's given these means. And he's not only given us the means, he's given us himself to help us do these. You see, God is a loving father and he loved us so much that he sent, as the scripture says, his only begotten son. And what did that son do? do? He died to take away our sin and he rose to make us right with God. And when he left, when he ascended to heaven, his church was given what? We're doing this in the Gospel of John and it's here. This whole group of people is filled with what? The Holy Spirit, or who? Sorry, who? Not a what, a who? The Holy Spirit. God wants his kids to flourish, so he gives, him, gives them himself. And Paul writes, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Trembling, that's the means of receiving God's growth that he's given. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God our Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all there to help us grow to nurture us, to train us, to equip us for living life both in this world and the eternal one to come. Jesus' church grows.